If there was hardwood floor, I'd have heard some toe tapping going on in that last song. But isn't it, 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 it's mind-boggling to me that we can get all that excited like at a, at a, at a football game, and, and I'm, I'm just as guilty, and we can get excited at a baseball game. We can even get excited at the birth of our child, but yet we get in church and all of a sudden we figure we got to sit on our hands. When, but yet the Apostle Paul is saying, I wish that all men would raise holy hands unto the Lord. And then even in the Psalms says, clap your hands all ye people. Shout unto the Lord for the joy that is in Him. So next time, where's my worship team people? Next time that song goes on. I want to hear some going on, if you know what I mean. Because we're not praising them. We're praising the Lord that has set us free. Amen? And that's what it's all about. We need to pray this morning. Father, songs that have been sung this morning have a, a common theme. The theme about Your grace. How your grace saves us. How your grace keeps us. How your grace even will lead us home, as the old hymn says. It's all about your grace. And we thank you, O Lord, this morning that we are here this morning in Christ Jesus and we are expressions of your grace. Your grace has kept us through the evening, has brought us here this morning. And it is by your grace, O Lord, that we will speak in order to honor you. Because you alone are worthy. And the Lord, I I want to lift up to you as many of us were made aware of yesterday through a prayer chain letter that came through that our dear sister Jan Wasser is, is up against a battle. A battle that has infected her with cancer. We don't know, oh Lord God, all of the information, and we don't need to know all the information. All we need to know, Lord God, is that you're in control. And you asked us to pray one for another to encourage one another. So we lift her, O Lord God, to You. We do not yet know the journey that she is going to have to walk through. But we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can walk with her. Whether through our prayers, whether through dropping her a card, whether even picking up the phone, we can be used by you to come alongside of this dear sister. And I pray, God, that whatever the doctors seemingly have planned, I I ask that it's been guided by your hand. And we thank you, God, that our refuge and our strength is in you. And we can enjoy and also weep. But we weep as those who have no hope because our hope is totally in you. So I ask now, Lord, that you would intervene mightily in only the way that you know how. 
As we come before You this morning, Lord, before Your Word, and we first want to acknowledge that it is Your Word. It hasn't been contrived by man, though You used human vessels to write down the words that You wanted, but yet, Lord, it's Your Word. You spoke it. You intervened into the life of individuals that they would write what it is that you wanted them to write. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I am glad, O Lord God, that it is profitable. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken the depths of our soul this morning as we travel through this book of James May we, O Lord God, learn of Your grace and Your mercy and the opportunities that we have as Your children to be conduits, to be instruments of that grace to whomever we meet. So Lord, I pray that all of our attention would be upon You this morning as we delve into this passage, O Lord God, with our eyes focused upon You, I'm thankful that just one grasp of your robe will raise us up above the, above the storm and above the waves. Let us walk with you this morning, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. We, we ask these things. Amen. Before we turn to James chapter 2, I want to set the context. Remember the three rules of biblical interpretation. Context, 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 But I want to set for us the context that the Apostle Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So before we go to James, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because what Paul is talking about in 1 and 2 Corinthians, James is highlighting in James chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you begin at verse 5 down to verse uh, verse 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry that he is setting forth. He's laying a foundation. And the foundation is described in verse 11 of that which is Jesus Christ. He's not laying any other foundation for the early church. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. So notice as we pick up the narrative at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, everyone's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work, which has been built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Keep that in mind. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The same context, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 9. We'll start at verse 9. It says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, meaning Jesus Christ. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Now, what judgment are the, is the Apostle Paul talking about? The judgment seat of Christ. It's the same judgment in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and then also as he opens up chapter 3, verse 1. It is a judgment. A judgment day. And the judgment day has to deal with believer people. It's a judgment day whereby faith gets you to that judgment, but works are what's going to be judged on that judgment day. On that judgment day, it has nothing to do with salvation. In other words, you're not going to learn at that judgment whether you're saved or not. You don't get to that judgment unless you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so the Apostle Paul and James are talking about the same subject. In other words, how are we going to be found at that day? It's all about works. And James is highlighting that as we saw that last week in James chapter 2 and picking the text up. At, at, at verse uh, 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but not, does not have works? Can faith save him? That word save in that context has nothing to do with salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, when you look at that context, the word save there has everything to do with salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is it a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here, James is saying, what is it that is going to you be able to do in order to stand in the day of judgment? That's what he's talking about. Not not about salvation. Too many people come to this chapter and get those things mixed up. James is not talking about salvation faith. He's talking about judgment day works. The maturing process. I want to make sure you are solidified with that. That's the foundation upon which we need to build. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Faith gets you to heaven. You get in the door of heaven by grace through faith. But when you get there, what are you going to have to lay at the Master's feet? Now James gives us an illustration about what he means. Turn just one page over if you like my Bible. Here's the illustration. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and any of one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, 
What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The word dead there means useless. Context, useless. That's the illustration. James is bringing forth this wonderful illustration concerning the fact that what do works have to do with our faith? What does our faith have to do with our works? And this is the argument that James is dealing with to this first century church of Jewish believers who are struggling to find out how is it that we are to grow in Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice, at least I I hope you've been noticing, that chapter 1 closes out with a work. It says, this is pure religion. If you want to know what good religion is all about, this is what it is. Take care of the widows. And take care of the orphans. That's a work. And then chapter 2, as we've seen a couple of weeks ago, introduces of another work. And the other work is don't be prejudiced or partial based upon whether the preacher got a nice, bright, yellow suit or not. I'm not going to relate that story again. But I must say, that suit was... Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Now he continues that thought because he's still talking about works. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. And the illustration is, if you've got a sister or a brother that's destitute, they need your help. Don't be going up to them and saying, I believe that God can take care of you, and you walk away. J- James says that doesn't profit anybody. It doesn't help them, and it doesn't help you, by the way. We are to be used of God for His honor and glory. We are to honor Him in what we do and in what we say. Now, I I can't leave this illustration right away because there's a thought process that goes along in the churches that, and this is going to hit home, but that's okay. Don't blame me. I'm the mailman. I bring envelopes that have windows. It's up to you to open it and pay the bill. But there's a thought process that's going around, and too often it's, it's, it's surfaced itself. And the thought process is this, is that just because a missionary has come off of the field and has gone into retirement, that we need to stop providing for them. Not according to James chapter 2. You see, the one thing you got to know about missionaries, when they come back off of the field, they ain't getting a lot of Social Security. 
when they were on the field, they barely had enough to meet their needs on the field. With the cost of living just a little bit less than maybe it might be here. And they come home, and then all of a sudden, they see churches say, well, we know God will provide for you. Nice knowing for you. We're going the other way. What does that profit them? And what does that profit a church? I'm here to tell you this morning that more times than what we realize, we are the answer to our prayers. When we say, Lord, I know that you can provide for that person over there, whatever the situation is, and the Lord looking at your checkbook and saying, okay, are you willing to step up? Oh, I got quiet this morning, didn't we? We got quiet. But that's what James is talking about. James is not talking about abandoning anybody. Whether sister, brother, whether even in our own neighborhood, if someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't even come to church here, doesn't know Jesus, they're in a fire and they lose everything, we can say all we want. Oh, the Lord will take care of you. Really? They need to see that in action. And we may be the answer to that prayer. Now someone got to say amen. Oh, that's quiet. That's quiet. Sometimes in the passages that we read, God brings reality to life. It's not time for us to back away. It's not time for us to turn our back on anybody that has needs. We're called by God. The church, us folk, we are called by God to be used by Him for His honor and for His glory, in order that we may very well be used by God to meet the needs of people who need us so that they can see Jesus Christ in action. I'll let that set in for you a little bit. But then there's someone who comes up with an objection. Same kind of objection that the Apostle Paul met in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Where the individual says, okay, let's just keep on sinning that grace can grow. Let's just live like the devil so that heaven can grow. What does the Apostle Paul say? God forbid. God forbid. James has an objector. Now, in the Greek and Hebrew language, there isn't anything such as punctuation. But yet, in the English language, if we want to quote something, we put quote marks around it, say, saying, here's the beginning of the quote, and here's the end. In James chapter 2, there's an objection from an individual, and it covers two verses. Notice what it says in, in verse 14. But someone will say, <laughs> here's the objection. Someone's going to say, you have faith, 
I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It doesn't stop there. You believe that there is one God, and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Here's the end of the quote. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's a question. The objector is saying, what difference does it make? What difference does works have to do with faith? And faith has to do with works. Then he takes it a step further. Because then again, in, in, in verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God, and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. They threw the Old Testament trump card on the table. And they went back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. All the Hebrews and Jewish people would know what that verse is. It's the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And this objector who's having a problem with what James is talking about, is saying, even the demons believe in God. They believe in the unity. They know who God is. But their works are not good. So therein is the problem, isn't it? How do faith and works relate to each other? What is the issue that James is getting at? The issue is this. Is that yes, our works should show us our faith. They should. We're called. Not by just by the book of James, but throughout all of the New Testament. Even Jesus Christ Himself Gave us instructions. Matthew 5. You are salt of the earth. And if I could throw a commentary in there, it's almost like you are the salt of the earth. Start acting like it. You're the light of the world. Start being it. Why? Because the world needs to see who Jesus Christ is living in and through us. James is not dealing with Saving faith here. He is dealing with rewards of works. And what will you have when you stand before Jesus Christ? When He lights the match and it burns up everything you've laid on there, what's going to be left? Oh, you may make it. As it says in 1 Corinthians 3, you may make it as just as by fire. You get in the back door and you're going to be next to the back wall of glory. 
You're going to be able to see the activity of the throne that's going on way above you. You're going to be able to hear what is going on way beyond you. But what you realize at that point is, is your anticipation and participation is that is minuscule to what you could have had if you would have done what God wants you to do. It's my prayer that all of us would be close to the throne instead of seeing it from afar. Oh yeah. Saved as if by fire. I even joked with myself this morning to even say saved as if by fire is almost everyone like everyone sitting on the back pew of the church. You seeing what's going on. You hearing what's going on. But you ain't close enough to get into the participation. Now, believe me, dear brothers and sisters in the back row, amen to you. I am glad you're here. And the only reason you're sitting in the back row is because the front rows are filled. Can I get an amen from the back row? We'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. But just to prove his point, James now turns to two illustrations of two individuals that the Jewish people would have been very aware of. The first one is Abraham. Listen to the illustration. Was not Abraham, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the Scriptures were fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I've just given you, or James has just given you, a commentary of Genesis 15 to Genesis 22. The life of Abraham. In chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He was declared, our, our word justify means declared righteous. In chapter 15, Abraham was declared righteous by God because he believed. Faith alone. But you go from chapter 16 up to chapter 21 and you see a life like this, don't you? Well, guess what? That's just a microcosm of your life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but then in chapter 22 of Genesis... All of a sudden, God calls Abraham to do something that was really difficult. Take your son, Isaac, the son whom you love, 
And I'm going to just give you the quick word and kill him for me. You read the account, Abraham did that. Just about when he was ready to drive the, the knife through his son's heart, God said, stop. I got it. It was in that moment that Abraham was justified, declared righteous by men. Did you catch the two phrases in that verse that it says, and the Scriptures were as fulfilled, verse 23, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was justified by God in the presence of God. Then the second part is, and he also was called the friend of God. Who did the calling? People. Because they saw Abraham's works that backed up his faith. He was declared righteous even amongst people. Man, there's something different about that guy. He got a new robe or something? No, no. There's something different about him. He got a new hairstyle. No, no. He's a, he's a friend of God. He's a friend of God. Jesus says something similar in John's Gospel. He says, you want to know what it's like to be my friend? He says, obey my commands. Obedience. See, God's not asking for our opinion. He wants our obedience. And if you want to be a friend of God, you got to obey. Now the objectors, <laughs> Abraham, come on, none of us can match Abraham. We ain't anything like him. Excuse the street vernacular. We ain't anything like him. There's nothing special about us. God didn't come to us and say, count the stars. He didn't come to us and say, look at the sand. All of that's going to be yours. No, I'm just this person. Jimmy said, I'm not done that. I got someone else that maybe you can relate to. Rahab, the harlot. i got to stop just for a moment to say this. Why do we still refer to Rahab as a harlot? Street vernacular. She ain't that anymore. She ain't a harlot. She's a child of the living God by faith. Notice what it says in the text. It says, now, likewise, okay, you got a problem? You got a problem with Abraham? Okay, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without works is useless also. You know the account. Oh, great, I got four more minutes. You know the account. Joshua coming to the end, seeing this castle of Jericho, wondering how in the world we're going to get in there. He sends in some spies. And what the spies learned is that God was already at work even before they took the first step. Because Rahab said, oh, years ago, we heard of your God and how he opened the great sea and let you through. And it caused the whole city to tremble because we thought we were next. Well, 40 years later, guess what? You're next. Rahab knew that. She believed that. She purposely in her life took it by faith that God would do what He said He would do. And when these spies showed up, I believe they were directed by the Holy Spirit to go to the right person. No one would have expected anything other than the fact that two men Going to this harlot's house. Ah, we know what they're doing in there. I'll tell you what they were doing in there. There was a revival going on. And Rahab's life was changed. And someone said, yeah, but she lied later. Guess what? She ain't perfect yet. I need to see a hand raise of individuals in this congregation who have not told a white lie. Yeah, I knew you was all guilty. I know that. She wasn't perfect. But she was justified in the presence of God. And her actions, her works, justified her before men. And the great reward is just not the fact that her family was saved, dropping that scarlet rope out the window, that wasn't just it. She became the grandma of King David. And then through King David, guess who showed up on this earth? Jesus. That tells me that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things if you only trust Him and do what He wants you to do. I can just hear those objectors. I've I, 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 I got nothing to say now. But here's how I want to close this morning. Where is your foundation? Where are you at? I'm not talking about how many good works you've done. It has nothing to do with your foundation. I'm talking about simply this. Was there a time in your life when you purposely recognized that all that Jesus Christ did for you died upon the cross for you, shed His blood 
for the payment of your sin, was buried, rose again the third day as proof that God was satisfied with the payment. And He presently sits at the right hand of the Father, making and wanting to make intercession for you. Have you trusted Him? Have you believed in what Jesus Christ did to be good enough to pay for your penalty? If you have, thank God. But if you have not, that is the foundation that the Apostle Paul talks about. We don't build on any other foundation other than Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus, amen. If you have not, why not? Why not? And if you've trusted Jesus Christ, then my next question for you is this. What are you going to lay on the table to get burnt? That's only a question you can answer. But I guarantee you, when someone says, why can't I as a Christian just live the way I want to? My simple answer is this, is because you will lose in the end. You will lose what you could have had. You will be disinherited of what you could have had, the riches of heaven. But that's your choice. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you walk to the front of the aisle. Walk down the aisle doesn't save anybody. But this morning, I just want to ask you a question. If what we have been talking about this morning makes good sense to you, you understand that we need to be declared righteous by God. And that is simply through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And maybe you have never heard that before. Maybe you have never even trusted in that before. I'm going to ask you this morning, if there's anyone here this morning, I just want to pray for you. If there's anyone here this morning who understands that I need to ask Jesus to be my Savior, to believe in Him, and you've never done that before. Is there anyone here this morning that would just simply raise your hand and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus? Anyone here this morning? I want to trust in Jesus. This morning also, we've been talking a lot about works. Not works for salvation, but works because of our salvation. And maybe there's some things in your life that, that God already knows. You're not hiding anything. Some things that you feel you need to, to turn over to Him. Maybe some things that have messed your life up. Maybe some things that have gotten your attention away from the glorious truth of the, of the Word of God.
things of this earth have replaced the wonder of heaven. And here this morning, you're thinking, Holy Spirit leading in your life and saying, Pastor Doug, pray for me because i got to get rid of some stuff. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Doug, pray for me. i got to get rid of some stuff. Is anybody here this morning? Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Any others? I got stuff I got to get rid of. I, I can't hang on to this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you this morning. I'm, I pray for these who raise your hands. First, I want them to realize that they're not all they're not alone. <laughs> and we've all have stuff. But Lord God, I, I thank you for their honesty and I pray, oh God, right now that as they mean business with you, that you'll mean business with them. And areas of life that they sense is nothing more than, than dragging them down or taking them away from the focus that is in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord God, I pray that you would take it away. That you will give them the same faith in you that they trusted in Jesus Christ for their eternal life. Now that same faith will work through them so that they, they can say to those things of the world, be gone. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Strengthen them, Lord. Bless them mightily. And oh Lord God, may they be like, like Rahab. An individual who has been justified by God and in, the, and in the face of men have been declared righteous by their works. May that be the prayer of all of us here this morning. May our works be that which honors you and you alone. Because, Lord, we want to show up with a bag full of goodies at the throne of the great judgment day. We want you to receive the honor and glory, Lord, for you alone are worthy. And we praise you in your name. Amen.